We translate for those who can't understand. We write for those who can't hear. We describe for those who can't see. Subti Subtitles and accessibility for film, television and theater. Subti.com Fred, 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 Fred. This is Cristiana Palmieri for Fred Film Radio from the Sydney Film Festival. My name is Roberto Pombo. Here on Fred Film Radio, the Festival Insider. Io sono Laura Buffa e questa è una nuova puntata di Fred Mag. Mein Name ist Beatrice Bieden und ich spreche mit Andreas Kuchowska. Fred, Fred, the Festival Experience in 23 languages. Cinephile, you're listening to the Big Fred Tuesday, Fred Film Radio's weekly show on all things cinema with a particular focus on independent filmmaking and the international film festival scene. The show is hosted and produced by yours truly, Matt Micucci. This has been the week of the Golden Globes, and you know what? I almost didn't know anything about it, as essentially the winners were tweeted out by representatives of the infamous Hollywood Foreign Press Association, rather than being read out in front of a house full of stars at a glitzy event. Talk about a considerable downgrade. Regardless, among the big winners were The Power of the Dog for Best Motion Picture Drama and West Side Story for Best Motion Picture, Musical or Comedy. And for all of the winners, as usual, I would suggest checking out the Google machine. But as far as we are concerned, I will be including clips and interviews with some of this year's Golden Globe winners throughout the course of the show and that are currently housed in our fabled archives. So make sure to stay tuned for those ones. Also, stay tuned for all you need to know about the upcoming edition of the Geneva Black Movie International Independent Film Festival, the hybrid edition of which will take place from the 21st to the 30th of January. We'll be talking about that with one of its programmers, Bastian Mereson. As well as all that, we'll be celebrating the life and legacy of the trailblazing Soviet filmmaker Sergei Eisenstein and return with another cinephile recommendation in our world-acclaimed conclusive segment, Popcorn Classics. My suggestion to you is to fire up an audio teeny and listen to the audio waves as they fly through the air. This is the Big Fred Tuesday. Fred. As previously mentioned, Jane Campion's The Power of Dog won Best Motion Picture Drama at this year's downgraded edition of the Golden Globes. Let's revisit Angelo Cherby's interview with its lead actor, Benedict Cumberbatch. Listen, you are playing Phil, which is like a kind of the evil machine of the old film, is, is a kind of a, a cruel, brilliant, but vulnerable as well. So he has everything. Glad you said vulnerable, because that is the sort of key of why he's cruel, I think. He feels very threatened. Yeah, and how, how was it to prepare for that? Because you need to convey everything inside one single character. I mean, the book is a masterful blueprint. It's an extraordinary piece of prose, a real mm-hmm. American classic. The script is a, a beautiful beautiful cut of that animal and Jane is an extraordinary leader and she gave me a long runway to sort of saturate and marinate in this character's psyche um, and like Kirsten very very kind of succinctly put it you kind of you therapize with your character you go into understanding one another what of you is in that character and how to excavate that through all sorts of work um, and also the manual work of trying to accomplish something of his mastery of pretty much everything he turns his hand to, which kind of could drive you mad because he, <laughs> it's a lifetime of whittling and braiding and roping and riding and banjo playing and ironmongering and taxidermy. I mean, it goes on and on. The guy was really a polymath. 
But um, that's all to sort of build it from the outside in. The inside is the most important thing to hold on to, to justify his behavior in those moments that are shockingly cruel to us as an audience. Yeah, which is actually what, 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 inspi- what is weird, weird, I mean, good, g- weird good for us to watch, that when he's by himself, he is actually himself. This and is the gift of cinema. You have yeah. a lens on you, and you are suddenly able to reveal something internal exactly. and private. And with, you know, with Ari's photography and, and Jane's guiding of the lens, it, it, it's, yeah, it was a real gift for me. And there is this, this that was one of the big draws of the job, actually, was yeah. knowing how much non-dialogue dialogue there would yeah, be in exactly, this film. It's exactly. old-school filmmaking. All the scenes where you are solo, there is, there is like you, your relationship with the camera is like, it's like you dance with it. It's, it's, it's really, it's really intense and really fascinating and wonderful to watch. How do you work with that? Jane's got a, a capacity, I think, to really give people boldness and freedom to be literally naked but vulnerable in, in an emotional sense as well and just kind of, yeah, to really express their sensuality and not feel viewed, you know, to go, to bring it inside and to find it in nature as well. I mean, that was the gift of this character. You know, this, is, this isn't sort of hot sex in a hotel bedroom that's a very different kind of thing to abandon to it's this is a deep commune with nature and his nature as well but um like you said it's pri- a private moment and to have that the wind in the trees the horse's mane the ripples of uh air moving on the water the feel of the water on your skin the mud you know it's a very visceral thing to abandon yourself to and um, it connects you, connects you in a profound way to your surroundings and everything else. And you can lose yourself in that and just become a vessel for the story or the, that point for the character as a and gift. And actually shows perfectly. Great. Oh, good. Good. Very well. So Thank you. Good job. Thank you. Good. <laughs> Thanks a lot to Bandy Cumberbatch nice for being with us. I'm Angela Cherby for Fred, the Festival Insider. Fred. Cinephile, welcome to the first of a two-part segment where every week... I talk about an individual who left an indelible mark on the cinematic art form. The first part is the biographical segment, and the second part highlights three films that I feel best represent said individual's work and may be particularly helpful to any newbies out there listening. For today's Celluloid Heroes, I decided to celebrate the life and legacy of the great Soviet filmmaker and film theorist Sergei Eisenstein, who, by the way, is usually the main figure discussed on the first or second lecture of any respectable film studies module in third-level education programs everywhere. Sergei Eisenstein was a trailblazing filmmaker who helped bring Russian history to the masses and revolutionized filmmaking techniques with his fabled montage theories. Eisenstein was born in 1898 in Riga, Latvia, which at the time was part of the Russian Empire, and he studied civil engineering and plastic arts in St. Petersburg. He found his vocation by enlisting in the Red Army in 1917, where, on top of organizing and constructing defenses, he also produced entertainment for the troops. After working in the theater, he began dabbling in filmmaking. In the 20s, he developed a groundbreaking theory called Montage of Attraction, where editing techniques aim to maximize the psychological impact of the action. The end goal was to communicate specific messages to audiences without being explicit. These principles would guide Eisenstein's entire career, beginning with his first feature, Strike, from 1925. That same year, he released his masterpiece, Battleship Potemkin, a dramatization of a naval mutiny and resulting street demonstration from the Russian Revolution of 1905. 
Battleship Potemkin's emphasis on montage and politics, as well as its focus on treatment of the masses instead of the individual, showed the world that political propaganda could also be considered art. Eisenstein's work garnered international acclaim and led to a series of trips abroad, including failed productions in Hollywood and Mexico. His time in Mexico is particularly well documented and discussed due to the failed production of Que Viva Mexico, which has since resurfaced in various versions, and for his strained rapport with Mexican authorities on suspicion of his homosexuality. In 1933, Eisenstein returned to the Soviet Union at the insistence of Stalin. Upon his return, he initially clashed with the heavily censored Stalinist film industry, but Alexander Nevsky from 1938 was an absolute success at home, where it won Eisenstein and Order of Lenin, and in the West. While the film greatly transfigured historical events to praise collectivism, it is a powerful feature fondly remembered also for Eisenstein's collaboration with Sergei Prokofiev. It was a very close collaboration. Eisenstein went on to produce a three-part trilogy, Ivan the Terrible, depicting Ivan IV of Russia as a national hero. The first part, released in 1944, was widely acclaimed, but the second part was heavily criticised and remained unreleased until 1958, and the third part was never completed, and it was eventually destroyed. Eisenstein died just after his 50th birthday in 1948 of a heart attack in Moscow. With his films and theories, Eisenstein continues to inspire individuals around the world and has left a lasting legacy as the creator of Montage, which may be a bit of an overstatement, but you get the idea. As one of cinema's first intellectuals, he was both a pivotal figure in the development of cinematic art form, recognising its role in the development of the history of the arts, and prophetic in foreseeing a stereoscopic cinema of the future. In a moment, I will highlight three of his films that I feel best represent him. But for now, it's time for more film conversations on the Big Fred Tuesday after this short break. Fred Film Radio. Joining us at this time is Bastian Merison, programmer of the Black Movie International Independent Film Festival in Geneva, Switzerland, to tell us all we need to know about this year's edition. Bastian, welcome to the Big Fred Tuesday. Hello. Thank you for inviting us. Oh, it's a real pleasure, you know. And in fact, it has been about uh, a year since we talked about the Black Movie International Independent Film Festival. Uh, So uh, would you be able, first off, to get us started, to refresh our listeners' memories, can you tell us a bit about the festival's history and its mission statement? A little bit of an overview, I guess. An overview. Actually, we are celebrating our 30, no, 23rd edition uh, this year. Uh, it's a film festival which had uh, been created back in 1991. And it was all about uh, African movies and uh, cultures. That's why the mysterious name of Black Movie Film Festival. And then they had a... There were some changes made in the management back in 1998 where the three female directors decided to open up to the so-called three southern continents, South America, Asia and still Africa. And they decided to, uh, well, keep the name of Black Film Festival, Black Movie Film Festival, because everybody is asking why Black Movie, is it about Africa, is it about some 
police movies or murder mystery movies. No, it's so much more than that, actually. But, well, that's why we kept the name. It became a more multicultural affair then, I guess. It was, it was. Actually, uh, up until 98, it was a multidisciplinary event uh, all around African cultures. And since 98, it's mainly focused about cinema, actually. Hmm. Uh, let's say more art house movies. Even that doesn't define anything, but uh, a quite uh, independent spirits, uh, caring about independent movies, opening to discussions and debates and trying to, well, get interested uh, within other cultures of the three southern continents. And so, uh, in your opinion, what makes Geneva uh, the perfect setting for a festival like this. Yeah, of course. Um, actually, Geneva is characterized by uh, its multiculturalism. Actually, so many different cultures and people of all nations uh, living peacefully together, uh, all kind of re religions. So actually, yes, I, I, I personally think that this film festival is also a reflect of uh, the city of Geneva. So this year's edition will take place, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, from the 21st to the 30th of January, right? Yes, and uh, I understand it will be a hybrid edition. Is that true? How will it work? This is true. Uh, since, um, well, we have some kind of pandemia still uh, running around the world, we had to adapt. And uh, if you remember well, last year we had to cancel the live version of the film festival, film festival and went uh, fully online. And this year, well, we still don't know what will be the sanitary measures and conditions and decisions. Uh, so that's why we decided to go for a hybrid version. This means actually we are still uh, leaping forward for a fully presential uh, version, meaning all movies being shown in theaters, uh, many guests, um, a whole team introducing the movies. And then the so-called hybrid version, the second part is uh, well, most parts of uh, the movies and mainly the film features, long, uh, long versions, uh, are, will be also online and open for all people in Switzerland. And one of the main characteristics of uh, the Black Movie Film Festival is that, um, contrary to other film festivals, we do not open up the screenings of the movies being shown online uh, during the, the whole time of the film festival. Actually, we try to keep the quintessence and only screen the movies at the same time of their screenings in theaters. So you actually have to follow the schedule of the film festival and be ready uh, to do some sacrifices sometimes because we are showing the several movies at the same time, but then uh, make your option decision to watch that movie at the day of the hour when it will be screened live also. I'm presuming the best way to kind of uh, be sure to check out the right schedule for the right screenings is to go on the website, right? What's the name of the website so that the listeners uh, uh, know exactly where to go? 
Well, it's uh, named like the uh, f- uh, festival. It's uh, the Black Movie All Attached dot ch like Switzerland, uh-huh. and there we'll be able to find the schedule and also all uh, links to the online uh, screenings. Excellent. So, as mentioned in a press statement, there will be about 89 films shown over the course of 10 days, including 50 features and 39 short films. Uh, before we start mentioning a few titles, though, we talked about the history of the festival, but how is it structured nowadays? Uh, what are its different competitions, its strands and sections, uh, you know, all those things that make up the program and the structure of the yeah. program? Yes, uh, you are totally correct. It's 89 films, um, including 50 feature films and 39 short films from 48 different countries, uh, including uh, 70 uh, Swiss premieres. And we are quite proud also to have this year a lot of uh, movies made by women directors, actually 21 features and 27 short films. That was quite a joy to see that there are so many female directors outside which are doing a tremendous work. Of course, to try to help you browse through all those uh, multiple choices, we, um, how do you say, we prepared nine different sections. Um, uh, might it be something like to be followed? So those are movies made by uh, film directors. We already sh- showed some other films in the previous years or we think they uh, are very interesting to be followed in in the next years. Um, we have something called Mothers and Daughters, which is a very general topic, but those are movies mainly focused on, well, mothers and their daughters, especially in uh, patriarchal uh, societies and how they're struggling, assuming themselves, fighting their way through uh, their societies. Um, a section like Music is Back, which is a wonderful compilation of seven documentaries around uh, music. Um, and so on and so on actually and of course uh, movies also for smaller generation but it's always uh, focused for all audiences with the little black movie so that's the thing and uh, we have uh, some uh, competitions uh, with um, mainly four awards actually which will be uh, handed over uh, to uh, some of the movies in competition we'll be right back for more on the black movie international independent film festival after this Fred Film Radio. We're back with Bastian Merison, programmer of the Black Movie International Independent Film Festival of Geneva, Switzerland. And before the break, we talked about the structure of this year's festival. And it's now time for a trickier question, uh, because of the sheer volume of this year's offering. But are there any titles that you feel stand out from this year's program? Um, okay, that's the tricky question. That's always the very awful question to, to reply to because, I mean, there are so many, many beautiful movies and actually all of them are very close to the programmer's hearts and then we never know whom we are targeting by replying to that question actually because they are, uh, uh, fortunately the audiences uh, have still so many different tastes. They're not all McDonald's and Starbucks minded. So that's the beauty of the film festival. But okay. 
Here I go. Um, maybe uh, within the major titles, there's um, a memoria by Apichat Pangvarasatekul, the Thailand director. Um, this is a major title which uh, went uh, already quite a lot around the film festivals of last year and has been released in some countries in the world, like in France lately. But it's a Swiss, <coughs> Swiss premiere and I think Uh, either you love or hate a Pichat Pong, every new title is uh, curiosity and a uh, real cinematographic experience and it really blew our minds once again. You just have to watch it well online if you don't have the choice or otherwise in the theater room, of course. And then we have other um, uh, rather well-known directors like uh, uh, Korean director Hong Song-soo. Uh, we are showing his uh, two latest, actually, uh, he shot within uh, one year, but uh, which are really, really different introduction and uh, so close um, to your face, which are the same as usual but uh, still very very different and not only because one is in black and white and the other one in in color actually and then we have uh, many many uh, first uh, time directors actually so this is quite particular this year also and I think um, there are some really major titles to discover there something like the Indian movie Pebbles by P.S. Vernatraj with This is just amazing and blow-minding. But, well, there are too many movies. I, I can't uh, quote all titles. Just make up your own mind, roll through all the catalog, and, yes, choose the best for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it is a tricky question, but it uh, gives an idea, actually, of... Uh of just the quality of the program of this year's uh, edition of the festival. Uh, speaking of which, you kind of mentioned it earlier, but I want to go back to it. Uh, something that you touched on anyways. Uh, uh, will there be any guests, uh, Q&As, panel discussions, anything like that for the audience to interact with, uh, with people, not just the movies? Yes, definitely. Well, up uh, until now, we, are, we have still 13, 1, 3, uh, uh, confirmed guests from all around the world, which should, should join us and, and uh, well, travel through all the difficulties to get up until Geneva. But yes, they, they're coming from uh, Tunisia, Bulgaria, Gabon, Japan, Argentina. Uh, this also you can uh, check on... Uh, on our website to see who will be present and especially for the Q&A and I think it's uh, the uh, real added value actually to meet all those directors and uh, there's no VIP red carpet thing in Black Movie actually all our audiences can approach all our guests and talk and debate with them and uh, many of the titles are actually quite engaging and opening to discussions so that should be great And one thing I would like to mention for all people who would only go online, actually, um, uh, for some added value also for our online hybrid version, we recorded already around 30, uh, no, yeah, 20 or 30 Q&A sessions with some directors we knew they could not join us, actually, and we will put that online also for all audiences as a complement addition to uh, the movie they saw in the theater of all the people who are watching them on uh, online. So um, we did some really, really, really great uh, Q&As, yes. 
That's wonderful. Let me remind our listeners that um, this year's Black Movie International Independent Film Festival will take place from the 21st to the 30th of January. Bastian, thank you very much for joining us. I want to ask you one question uh, to kind of end our little chat. Uh, it's a rather broad question, but feel free to answer uh, and share your thoughts in any way you like. Uh, the pandemic has obviously had a huge impact on cinema, filmmaking and theatrical exhibition. Do you think it will have a long-term impact on the future of cinema? And if so, oh, what does that future look like for you? Actually, I'm, I'm involved in, um, in a dozen of film festivals, so I see all the struggles and the problems rising. Not uh, all film festivals can actually do hybrids or fully online versions. So they have been canceled for at least one year and for some, for two years in a row, which is, uh, very harsh. And then I think Black Movie, uh, quite adapted to the situation and we were really surprised of the tremendous success of last year's online uh, edition. We had so many viewers actually and we learned a lot from that actually. That's why we uh, targeted also the hybrid version to continue as long as the pandemic uh, conditions are, are going on. But I think it's uh, also created some, um, new things for film festivals such as the Q&A sessions we are recording now Uh, I think we will keep that for following years because this is really valuable stuff we will never be able to invite all the guests but we will be able to well record some sessions and uh, once again I think um, those answers by the directors are uh, are uh, great value added to the movies, especially the more experimental movies we might be showing uh, during the film festivals. And the very last thing is, my only fear is actually about who will come back to the film festival. Because obviously we can see that uh, still uh, numbers in general film festivals are declining because many people are too afraid to come back to the theaters and I'm thinking especially about older people. And what I could see in the past months is that the younger generations, they came back into the theaters. They wanted to communicate. They wanted to watch movies again in theaters. They wanted to get drunk uh, before or after the screenings to talk in communities. But the elderly, uh, they did not come back yet because they are afraid uh, and because they discovered that watching uh, movies at home is not that difficult anymore with all the streaming platforms. Young people discovered that before, but uh, they come back to theaters because of community feeling. Elderlies, they are getting to the streaming platforms and I see a lot of restrictions and limitations within the streaming platforms, be it because there are no Q&As, be it because, well, uh, there are many movies lacking on streaming platforms, especially movies we are showing in uh, Geneva, which are politically engaged opening discussions, uh, questioning, and uh, some people like Amazon or Netflix, they are not that far. They don't want to get in trouble or opening discussions or showing a documentary about Trump while he's uh, still a president and talk about what he's doing. And I'm quoting Trump, but it could be so many other leaders worldwide speaking. So this is a main fear, actually, uh, the impact on film festival on the long term. So on the good side, I think 
There will be a very interesting evolution about film festivals being hybrid versions with really added value. But on the other hand, I'm really fearing about all the people who are not coming back to us, who are not discussing, debating between them, uh, opening up, opening their minds all together. So the collective, actually. I'm That was my... Very long answer. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's good. Very good. Uh, food for thought right there. So, uh, Bastian, thank you very much for uh, joining us. It has been an absolute pleasure. Thanks very much. Thank you. And thank uh, all the followers and listeners. And happy, happy new year to all of you. Fred. Cinephile, welcome to the second part of this week's Celluloid Heroes segment. This week we have been celebrating the life and legacy of Sergei Eisenstein, who on top of spearheading Soviet filmmaking during its golden age, also developed one of the first significant theories in film, that of the montage of attraction, where, as I said earlier, editing techniques aim to maximize the psychological impact of the action. None of his films best represent his amazing application of these techniques than the first of my three picks of movies that best represent the essence of Eisenstein, if you will. The universally celebrated Battleship Potemkin, of course, which despite having been made in 1925, has come to represent a quintessential style of spectacular and intellectual filmmaking that remains fresh to this day. The film is a dramatization of a naval mutiny and resulting street demonstration from the Russian Revolution of 1905. Its emphasis on montage and politics, as well as its focus on treatment of the masses instead of the individual, showed the world that political propaganda could also be considered art. It's also a work both dynamic and compact, full of energy and fired by violence and anger. Even those who have never seen the film and have a hint of a true interest in cinema are familiar with the famous Odessa Step sequence. My second pick is Alexander Nevsky from 1938, which was also the first film of Eisenstein to use synchronized sound. The spectacular retelling of the story of Prince Alexander, one of the key figures of medieval Russian history, also felt really, really contemporary and kind of updated the whole, the whole format of historical biographical features. The film was made in accordance with the tastes and regulations of the heavily censored Stalinist film industry and yet it's still a spectacular affair with occasional formalist flourishes fondly remembered also for Eisenstein's collaboration on the film with the great composer Sergei Prokofiev. Not as last as they would continue to collaborate together on Eisenstein's next project, but Alexander Nevsky is the film that also definitively elevated Eisenstein's status as one of the top intellectuals of Soviet Union and also allowed him to create my third pick for this celluloid hero segment of essential Eisenstein films, Ivan the Terrible, Part 1 from 1944. An ambitious and exhilarating retelling of the 16th century Tsar, Ivan the Terrible, whom Stalin admired. Beyond the novelistic plot, what strikes is the vitality of the film itself, venturing well beyond the confines of socialist realism to integrate plenty of symbolism and stunning photography, complete with shadow play characteristic of German expressionism. And in some sequences, to me at least, it kind of recalls the energy of musicals from the golden age of Hollywood that would, of course, come within a matter of years. As the final Eisenstein film released before the filmmaker's passing, Ivan the Terrible Part 1 represents the excitement and potential of filmmaking against the crippling ails of heavy censorship and what is remarkable is that it defied it since the film was somehow celebrated by Soviet authorities. 
The same cannot be said of the second part. But Sergei Eisenstein, we speak your name and we salute you. We'll be right back for more Big Fred Tuesday in a moment. Fred. Dune was another award winner at this year's downgraded version of the Golden Globes. I'm talking, of course, about the version directed by Donny Villeneuve. Uh, let's revisit Angelo Cerbi's interview with one of its lead actors, Rebecca Ferguson. So you are, um, you play Jessica, as we, as everyone can imagine, that, and you are like the, the mother of the Duke, Paul the Duke, and your role is really intense and important because you are not just a simple mother. You're much more. Without revealing too much, can you tell us something about that? Yes. Um, so Jessica belongs to a sisterhood called the Bene Gesserit. And the Bene Gesserit sisterhood, they are the most powerful entity in the universe. And their rule or their idea is basically to manipulate the outcome of the universe by dropping uh, children in different sort of circumstances mm -hmm. to create coalitions between families. So my character belongs to this sisterhood and she falls in love with her duke and she breaks the rule. She doesn't do what she's told and she creates chaos, but for her belief. Yeah, she creates chaos which is in the person of Paul, the Duke of Paul, and there is a, str a strong bond between your character and Timothy Chalamet's character, is, which is more than a bond between a mother and a, and, yeah. and a child, because you are also teaching him to do stuff. You are preparing himself to become what he has to become. Yeah. That balance was so beautiful. That's for me when I when I was offered this role, and Denny and I spoke for hours about it. I said, I'm, I'm interested in sort of in what, what can I portray? Because I can do strong and I can do this. And, and he said, no, 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 no. I want to, to find the balance when you travel from a mother to a protector, to someone challenging your son to a moment where the outcome mm -hmm. can be death. It's finding those, the areas where your belief might be stronger yeah. than the love for a child. Yeah. You which know, is strong by itself. But anyway. Which is strong by itself. And, and I love sort of the, the travel between these two characters because we will see through the film that there is an, an absolute change. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Where the child becomes the leader and the mother becomes the follower. The follower, kind of. but still the mother. But still the Because he always, always. He always, tries to, he always wants to protect her in any, in any I circumstance. I say this to my son every day. <laughs> I am always the madre. So learn from the film. <laughs> Watch Dune so you can learn how to be a... Listen, did you know that the role was so physical as well? Did you know it by, from, from, from um, the beginning? So I was introduced to the film and to the character through Denny's vision. Mm -hmm. And Denny didn't verbalize her physical assets oh. um, it wasn't sort of a selling point for me um, I think also because I've come from mission and, and I think he knew that mm -hmm. it was something that I nurture and love and I yeah. can do I, I was more interested in, in the detail of it, the independence of the movie you know I'm wanting to break into independence world as well yeah, which yeah. is another entity and what is wonderful is this film basically cradles Yeah. Both worlds. Yeah. So this, the martial arts is for me. I love it. It's it's training. It's meeting new leaders and new champions. And the the film is really spectacular in terms of of CGI and of like visuals. And how it was to to play inside that machine? You know, one of my favorite moments in this film, uh -huh. from my perspective of filming, it was very fun. We were in Abu Dhabi. 
uh-huh. where we filmed. So we went to Jordan, to Wadi Rum, where we did most of the um, Fremen scenes because they okay. needed rocks and more hard surfaced. Yeah. Whilst in Abu Dhabi, when we were running away from the sandworms, it was rolling, ongoing, sort of that feeling of being nothing in the grand scape of Mother Nature. Yeah. So we're in Abu Dhabi. And we're running away, and I turn around. It's in the trailer, so it's no spoiler. <laughs> and then he says, and now you look at the sandworm. And I'm looking kind of above Timothy's you know, height. Yeah. And then he goes, no, no, what are you doing? Look higher. And I start looking higher and higher and higher. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I mean, this is high. And he goes, do you know how big this sandworm is? <laughs> Which is? <laughs> and it was like, if you just keep on looking. And by this time, my head is literally looking up into the sky. And I thought, holy moly. <laughs> Maybe I should have known this. <laughs> yeah, which actually, what, this was my next question. Knowing. I was to watching to the high of a, of a sunwalk. Well, of course, you didn't do it literally, but no. it was. It, it, this thing that you just said in the film shows the, 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 the magnitude of it, you know? And what I love is there's no, there is one moment of green screen, but it doesn't, I can't see it. Mm-hmm. We're in a, in a helicopter. Yeah. And it's, they've created a sandstorm on set so we're in a huge room in this beautiful machinery and we can't see out right so even in a scene with the sandworms where they would usually create some form of an an artificial background or you know a tennis ball there is nothing so it's only your imagination it is the words that are fed to you by the director where he talks about the teeth and this for me that's, that actual shot is me at that moment realizing mm-hmm. in my head yeah. how enormous this thing is and yeah. my son being at the edge of that cliff just about to be attacked. Yeah, yeah, yeah I understand that. Listen, were you familiar with, with, with Dune as a, as, a, as a literary saga? Have you, have you ever read it? To or? be honest, no, I had not. Um, I knew about the film because mm-hmm. it's it's you know it's our history and it's our it's, yeah. it's part of our film knowledge, but I hadn't related to it as something in my backpack of of knowledge. So it was once again one of those moments where you're thrown into a new not genre. It, no, it's even it's more than that. But it's yeah. just it's exactly mm. it's. I was going to say it's a universe, but it's. Yeah, yeah, no it, 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 is, it, it is. It is actually. It is. It is a new universe. It's a, like a, a new, uh, an, an, another dimension from. Yeah, what, uh, from but it's also his universe. Yeah. It is Denny's yeah. love for something that he has embraced since he was, I think he says fourteen or something. Yeah, yeah. it was his like love story to growing up. It was the identity of this child. You know, your interview and you have yeah, yeah, yeah. the way he describes it to be on the receiving end of playing a character that he describes with that passion and that intimacy. I'm not saying is grander than anyone reading a book, but for me, I mean... Well, well, but there, is, there is a filter. There is Dennis' filter yeah. between you, the, the watcher, and the story. And, the and story. this is his vision, totally. Even if it's already written, but it's his vision. And I believe... And after reading and after seeing the other, obviously, June, I wanted mm. to see it again. I wanted to create moments of homage in myself. <laughs> I love that. Um, I feel he has gone his own way, but the story tells itself. You know, there's, you can't do much more than follow the actual story and mm. then modernize it. Or, or as you'll see, he will done it to, you know, matches 2021 for our, our audience. Yeah, yeah. But you will still, as a... Um, 
uh, a lover of the history and the book. Yeah, yeah. There is a, you, you're totally Identity right because to it, to the past. every character, even yours as well, has a deepness and a, a philosophy in the background that helps to keep to the character generate alive. It forward, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It was, and for me, when one of my biggest moments is the scene with Charlotte Rampling, which uh-huh. was one of my first days of shooting, and they. Um, They had the moments with the hoods and the Bene Gesserit entering, and and this is also in, you know, in the book. Everything just came to life for me at that very moment. Well, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot Thank to Rebecca you. Ferguson for having been with us for the film Dune by Dennis. And we are here in Venice. I'm Angela Cherby for Fred the Festival Insider. Thank you. Fred Film Radio. Cinephile, we have reached the end of this week's episode of the Big Fred Tuesday and I'll leave you with another Cinephile recommendation in another addition to our usual conclusive segment, Popcorn Classics. Now, the Marx Brothers are among the most energetic, dynamic and versatile comedy teams to have ever graced the big screen. Having emerged from the vaudeville circuit, they successfully transitioned to cinema and made some of the most clever and downright hilarious films ever, including Monkey Business, A Night at the Opera, Horse Feathers and so on. But it's perhaps this week's popcorn classic that represents the Marx Brothers at their finest. Duck Soup from 1933. This is a breakneck satire exploring the ridiculousness of jingoism and warmongery, a dynamic war lampoon about the fictional totalitarian state of Fredonia, waging war against a nearby country where the Marx Brothers happen to live and rise to become figures of prominence. Duck Soup was made when the First World War was not such a distant memory, at a time when fascism and Nazism were gaining ground in Europe, and Mussolini himself in Italy banned the film because he was sure that the movie was an attack on him. While all of their films delight in taking pot shots at figures of authority, Duck Soup is even more irreverent and more substantial in its satire in that it mocks militarism, politicians and patriotism. Then of course, there's that perfect comic timing. Stylistically, I also love its surrealist flourishes. That's when you see that Duck Soup also benefits from the confident hand of Leo McCary, the American director who made some remarkably sad films, but also some of the most amazing funnies of his period. In addition, Marx Brothers fans recall Duck Soup as the one film where, aside from Groucho, Harpo and Chico's famed antics, Zeppo is given something of substance to do. For this reason and more, I will give Duck Soup five cups of popcorn and five cups of soda. And that takes us right to the end of this week's Big Fred Tuesday. Thank you so much for listening. Join me again next week for more cinephile conversations and explorations. In the meantime, check out more of our content on Fred.fm and in multiple languages as well. Till the next time, stay healthy, stay safe, stay strong, stay cinephile and stay tuned to Fred Film Radio, the festival insider. Fred, Fred. Fred, 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 Fred. This is Natasha Sinanovic for Fred Film Radio. Fred Film Radio, Fred Film Radio, sono Angela Prudenzi. Essa è Fred Film Radio, io chiamo Mariana Morissau, do Festival di Berlino. Angela Cerbi per Fred Film Radio, on è al Festival di Venise. Fred, Fred, the festival experience in 23 languages. Fred Film Radio, 24-7 on Fred.fm and smartphone apps.